Pastor Xavier Reese talks about one of the key ingredients necessary for a closer walk with God. She knew the danger, she made a choice, she knew she could lose her life, but you know what? She was very courageous. Where have you heard these words before? The very commission and command that God gave to Joshua, not to be afraid, to be very courageous, not to be dismayed. Who's the first one that exemplifies that? Listen, Rahab the harlot. Pretty heavy, isn't it? She knew her choice was right. She was being strong in God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. From the early travels of Magellan to the most recent space shuttle missions, man has learned that great achievement comes to those who mix aptitude and the right attitude with a great deal of faith. Today, as we go back to our study in the book of Joshua, Pastor Xavier talks about the blessings that await those who put their trust in the Word of God. Let's listen. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. And the message is entitled, Rahab, the woman of faith. God's willingness to save sinners is portrayed here in a beautiful example of Rahab. And it's unfolded in a threefold movement by the sending out of the two spies. Verse 1 and 2, the sending out of the spies brought them to the house of Rahab. Then in verse 3 through 7, the inquiry about the spies at the house of Rahab. And then thirdly, in verse 8 through 14, you have the covenant of the spies with Rahab. Notice the sending out of the spies brought them to the house of Rahab, verse 1 and 2. Often in the scriptures, we read that God directs us. And sometimes people say, well, this was just coincidence. No, remember Ruth? It says she happened to come into the fields of Boaz. There's no coincidence with God's people. God is directing. He's coming in the land, and he's not going to reject any who open their heart to believe in the God of Israel. Here's the first example. In verse 1, we have the departure and the arrival. Joshua sent out these two men from Acacia Grove to spy out secretly as the place of the last encampment with uh, the leadership of Moses in Numbers 25.1. From there, they could see Jericho. They're on this side, the west side of the Jordan. I mean, the east side, they're looking across. The most interesting thing I find about this account is that these two guys aren't named. They're not important. The only one named is Rahab the harlot. She's God's goal. She's a sinner who has opened her heart to God, as you're going to see. Now notice the men left them, and they came to the house of the harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there, it says. The text does not say they went to seek out the harlot or they went out to seek harlots. It says they went there for lodging accommodations. After all, it's the oldest trade in history to get information, even today in governments. (laughs) But they weren't going for that purpose. But where else to go to an inn where they wouldn't be detected so obvious to gather information? Notice the king in verse 2 in charge of Jericho was informed about the security breach. The information was very prompt regarding the security of the city and was told the king immediately. They were aware of the presence of Israel and they have sentinels out. They're looking for them. Hebrews 11.31 gives us a commentary regarding Rahab the harlot. Listen to it. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. She believed what she heard about God. 
She acted upon it. Notice, secondly, from verse 3 to 7, the inquiry about the spies at the house of Rahab. In verse 3, the king sent the men, it says here to Rahab, and they arise to speak to her. And the message of the king was very direct and to be obeyed, to bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house. The woman had to have been uneasy. The men were in the house. <laughs> the reason for their coming was stated very clear. They have come to search out all the country. So it's not just Jericho, but all the land of Canaan. She was a citizen of Jericho. She was an inhabitant of Canaan. She's put in a dilemma. Notice verse 4 and 5, the woman Rahab lied to the men then. She chose to lie. She first hit the men. She knew she was acting treacherously to the king of Jericho. She knew the men were enemies, but she made a decision. And in verse 4 there, she acknowledged that the men had come to her, but that she didn't know where they were from. She was ignorant of this. Probably being a prostitute for so many years, I would imagine this comes second nature. And if you live in a lifestyle, certain things come real easy. Or perhaps it was just sheer understanding of who God was and she feared God more than man, which is a good thing. <laughs> but clearly the measure of light that she has was very small compared to the one you and I have. She had just heard, and yet she acted upon this. Notice in verse 5, she stated that the men... At dark, slipped out of the city before the gates were shut, and um, she didn't know their whereabouts. Um, she definitely had made a choice to protect her enemies, and she gave them even a decoy to put distance between the men of the city and the spies. The obvious lie here should not be defended. Lies are wrong. They're never ordered by God or condoned by God. There are a number of instances in the scriptures that present people lying, but they're never ordered by God or condoned by God. You have uh, the midwives of Egypt that lied to the Pharaoh and they saved the Hebrew male child, didn't kill him. God didn't order it. He didn't condone it. This is what they did. So in other words, all these records, recordings of men and women lying, whether they are believers or non-believers, they are accurate records of what they said. But not everything that's recorded accurately is accurate in truth to God's truth. Example, in Genesis, Satan came to Adam and Eve. Well, Eve first. Has God said, you won't die? Now, that's an accurate statement of Satan. But it's not true biblically, right? So the Bible gives us the real genuine book, and it gives us real life records of men and women as they really are. They are human, though some of them are believers, and they have human frailties. They still are sinners. They can still fall short. That's why the Bible says, don't be afraid, because they are afraid. You ever been afraid? Of course you have. You ever lied? Sure you have. We shouldn't. Hopefully it's the exception, not the rule, as we'll see. And so the Bible is a real record, and lying is always wrong. But when human life is involved, and there's a principle that we'll follow through here. You guys are familiar with Cory Ten Boom, right? World War II, the hiding of the Jews. The principle there is to save life, right? From an evil regime. The woman, Rahab, had hit the man on the roof. The uh, stacks of flax... Um, here are good evidence that Rahab most likely had abandoned her harlotry, her old lifestyle, and was now earning a living through making linen. 
this is not just reading into the text. We're going to get some New Testament confirmation of this. You have the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, 33, that she is a virtuous woman who makes clothes from flax and linen. Very hard work. It's a lot easier to earn your living by prostitution. Now, here's the evidence that she had changed her lifestyle already. In the book of James in chapter 2, verse 25, remember Paul is speaking in Romans about faith coming first to salvation and then works come after as evidence of salvation? And then when James is talking about salvation, he's talking about once you come to faith, the evidence that you're saved is there's works, right? So here's the commentary of James, and he's talking after a person is saved, and he makes mention of Rahab. Listen. He says in James 2.25, Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? What was James saying? He was saying that Rahab was saved. Her works demonstrated her faith, which verifies that she had already repented from her holler trees. And she had a little bit of light, and she made a decision on what she knew. The woman was in a crisis. She made a decision. Now, we as believers should not lie when we're confronted with accurate information and truth. Nobody should use this text to say, well, you know, I can lie. <laughs> no. The scriptures say much about lying. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He's talking to Christians. The implication is Christians were lying at Ephesus, as well as other churches, as well as entire age, church age, because we're still human, right? But there's no excuse for it. You understand? Colossians 3.9 and 10 says, Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of Christ or him who created him, meaning Christ. So I'm to reckon the old man dead. I have the capacities, but I'm not to yield to them. James 3.14 says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is the problem, guys. As Christians, if we don't stay sharp and stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit and live honestly, then we start little, subtle, progressive compromises, and pretty soon we're living just like we were before. And we're saying we're still Christians and we're making God one with our sin. And it's a bad witness to the people around us. Proverbs 12, 22 says, Lying lives are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Now, we have to be real careful not to speak against situational ethics that are taught in our society, in our universities, and then turn around as Christians and live out situational ethics. And it's not easy and always clear, so I want you to think with me, okay? Let's say that um, your son, and I've had cases like this, your son has been involved in a crime. He goes to your home. He tells you what's up, and he's hiding there. Police knock on your door. They say, Mr. Smith, is your son John here? What do you say? You say yes, because your son is a lawbreaker, and you and I as Christians are subject to the law. I don't lie for him. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Now, another example. A burglar breaks in your house. You hear the noise. You're a mommy. Your husband's gone. You take your two, your four-year-old, tell him to hide under the bed. The man grabs you, puts a gun to your head, and says, is there anybody else in the house? What do you say, pray tell? I say no. Why? 
because he's a lawbreaker. He hasn't come in for drink water. He can harm my children. I protect innocent life. The principle of the Bible is life. Okay? Now, this is situational ethic teaching of the humanistic education in universities today. There's three men in the boat. One is pretty sick. He's going to die. Two of you are healthy. You got enough food for 15 days for the three of you. But you can make it last out to 23 days if just two of you eat. He's going to die. What do you do? Situational ethics says you throw him overboard or don't feed him. Don't laugh. That's situational ethics teaching colleges. You're on that board as a Christian? You say, no. We split it three ways. If he dies, then we split it two ways because life is valuable. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? So make sure you can think through the scriptures. You as a Christian should be the most critical thinker on the face of the earth. That's why you're to know the word of God. You're not to be lazy and you're not to be a quacking duck. And if you just believe everything I say without checking me, you're a quacking duck. You need to do your homework on my homework. You understand? The inquiry about the spies at the house of Rahab was a crisis of faith for Rahab. She had to make a decision. Third, you have the covenant of the spies with Rahab. In verse 8 through 11, the report of Rahab to the spies is given to us. Verse 8 and 9, the common knowledge of Rahab and the people of the land is given. And listen well. Verse 8, Rahab came to the spies prior to them laying down and up in the roof and talked with them. And she knew the danger. She made a choice. She knew she could lose her life. But you know what? She was very courageous. She wasn't dismayed. Where have you heard these words before? The very commission and command that God gave to Joshua, not to be afraid, to be very courageous, not to be dismayed. Who's the first one that exemplifies that? Listen, Rahab the harlot. How? Through faith. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Pretty heavy. She knew her choice was right. She was being strong in God. And so Rahab proclaimed the basis of her faith to the spies in verse 9. I know that the Lord, and the word is Yahweh, has given you the land. She stood alone, believed because of the revelation of God. Here was. What was the revelation? God's judgment. God's going to come and judge everybody in the land. She believed there was judgment coming. Today, people don't believe that. Oh, come on, you guys think Jesus is going to come? Bzz, 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 bzz. Okay, yeah. No, Jesus is coming, and judgment is coming. And when people die, then the judgment. But people laugh at it. They mock at it. Notice that the terror of you has fallen on us. She had witnessed the dread, the result on the people of the land. Not only has she heard, she has seen the results of it. And then in verse 9, Rahab reveals the faithfulness of God to the spies. This must have blown their mind. How does this reveal the faithfulness of God? Listen to the words. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. In Exodus 15, 15, and 16, and other scriptures, God told Moses, I'm going to put fear in the heart of the people in the land before you get there. When they heard this, it must have blown their mind. God's faithfulness. Some of you, God has told you, obey me, and you're freaked out, and you've obeyed, and then God confirms it, and you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he is so faithful. Rahab attested that all in the land had the same information by these statements. Her faith condemned all who rejected the revelation, those in Jericho and the entire land. In fact, her faith was greater than the Israelites who had seen the miracles in Egypt, 
who had seen the Red Sea part, who had been fed from the manna, and they came to Kadesh Barnea 38 years ago, and they said, no, nah, we're not going in. We don't believe. She only heard about this stuff. She says, I believe. Pretty heavy, huh? In fact, she is joined in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Listen to Matthew 1.5. Salmon, an Israelite man, begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot who? David. You have Rahab the hearted in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. How interesting, huh? It's your faith in God for what Jesus has done. Not because of what you have done that's good, but because you believe the work of Jesus for your life. Where sin abounds, much more does grace abound, Romans 5.20 says. There's no sin that God cannot forgive. The only one he cannot forgive is the one that you won't confess. Verse 10 and 11, the clear communication that had reached Jericho was given to us. The power of their God, Yahweh, was incomparable. Incomparable. Listen, the people had heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Their gods had never done that. Molech, Ashtoreth, Baal, none of them had done that. Whoa, your God can part the sea? Oof, incomparable. The progression of the, uh, of the Israelites was unstoppable. Listen to the words in 10. And the people heard that Israel did to the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of Jordan, Sigon and Og, utterly destroyed them in Numbers 21. Unstoppable. And the word utterly destroyed means that which is completely dedicated to destruction by warfare, dedicated to a deity. It's the same word that we're going to find in Joshua 6, 17. When Achan partook of the accursed thing, that dedicated to God, all of Jericho. Nobody was to take anything. Same word. And notice in verse 11, the personal morale of the people was low and unreliable. Their fear was immediate. And as soon as they heard these things, our hearts melted, literally dissolved, wasted away. The extent of their fear, neither did there remain any more courage in any of us because of you. They tied the people to God and God to the people. And God tied the people to the land. Pretty interesting, huh? The reason for their fear is for the Lord Yahweh, your God. He is God in heaven above and earth beneath. There's the key verse for our text. This pagan woman believed in faith that God was the God of heaven and earth. Nothing happened apart from him. She had traded in her pagan gods and her traditions for the true and living God. Incredible. And so notice from verse 12 to 14, we have the request of Rahab for the spies now. The plea to the spies was to return kindness to her in like manner. The word kindness is the word hesed. We've studied it before. Mercy, loving kindness is a good translation. The idea is a reciprocal caring. It's a covenant word between God and Israel. She requested it under an oath. Now, therefore, I beg you, answer me by the Lord. An oath. She requested the same protection that she had given to them since you have shown kindness to me. She showed kindness to them. Now she was asking the very same thing. And so she requested it for her family there in verse 12. She was not only interested in herself. She wasn't just looking out for herself. She cared for her family. God is interested not only in your salvation, but your family members. By God's grace, my family all came to the Lord. 
by God's grace. Families aren't saved automatically. There's individual decisions, but God always works in families. Later on, at the end of the book, 2415, Joshua encouraging them as he gets to be an old man. He says, I don't know about you, but as far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Acts 16.31, I believe there in the jailer, God saved the Philippian jailer and his household, but it was an individual decision, okay? Not a collective one. And so she requests a token to be given to her, a pledge, a sign of truth that they're going to vow this. And she specifies father, mother, sisters, all that they have in verse 13. And so the greatest and the most difficult place to be an example is at home. For me to go out here on Colorado Boulevard and and witness to just a perfect stranger, no big deal. I don't know them. But to be able to witness to my mom, my dad, if they weren't, they didn't know the Lord. And I say, you know, mom, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. Or dad, you know, you're a sinner. You need Christ or to my brother, my sister, whatever, that's difficult because I've got to face the heat. That's real difficult. But that's where my first priority is. And we cannot force people and certainly don't want to shove it down their throat. So you let the Lord open those doors, you share, you let them see your life, and as God gives you the open doors, you share the word of God. If there's a rejection and an opposition to it, just kick back. You don't save anybody, God saves. So you keep on living and praying for them. And when God opens those doors, you share. And so the answer to the spies in verse 14 was, so the man answered, our lives for yours, if none tell the business of ours. And so the entire family was to keep this a secret. When the Lord gives the land, we'll come in and we will show kindly, truly to you. You remember when God told Philip to go into the Gaza Strip there, the desert, and he met the Ethiopian eunuch, and he joined himself to his chariot, and he was studying the scriptures. He says, who is this man speaking about? And he started speaking Christ and pointing Christ to him. And then as they come to this body of water, he says, you know, what hinders me from being baptized? And he says, well, do you believe? He says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down and he baptized him. It's not brain surgery, guys. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loves you and died for you and rose from the dead and can forgive you of your sins? That's the decision that you're making. That's God's revelation to you to be redeemed, to be forgiven, to be made new. And as you step out by faith, God will be faithful. Hmm. And so the covenant of the spies with Rahab was redemptive in nature. Man, what an incredible example of God's ability and willingness to save sinners by the threefold movement here of the sending out of the two spies. The sending out of the spies brought them to the house of Rahab. Good common sense. The inquiry about the spies at the house of Rahab was a crisis of faith. And the covenant of the spies with Rahab was redemptive in nature. You see, this is good for us. Because we live in this world. We have people who don't know Christ. And we are the two spies, if you will. (laughs) What is our message? Oh, no, no, no. You've done too much. You can't be saved. Really. There's not a sin that God does not forgive if you repent from it. 
He'll make you whiter than snow. A child of God. Pastor Xavier Reese with an encouraging reminder of the hope that accompanies the good news of the gospel. Now you can request a copy of today's study from the book of Joshua called Rahab, the Woman of Faith, available on CD for just $4. And this also contains what Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is Rahab, the Woman of Faith, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, if salvation is truly a free gift, how much of Christianity is dependent upon our own effort? Be sure and join Pastor Xavier Reese bringing us the answer on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com